Well, good morning, 360 family. I think about that uh, moment in time when we will stand in heaven and uh, be worshiping the Lamb of God. But if you have an understanding of Scripture, you uh, a full understanding, you understand that this is not all that we're going to be doing. We won't just be standing around singing songs. I believe that Christ has a mission for us even after the mission here on earth, that there will be work to do. Uh, we're told in the book of Isaiah that his government shall have no end. That means he will be reigning and ruling, and uh, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what that has in store for us. And it's natural to think of heaven in terms of uh, uh, receiving, and it's going to be great, and it's going to look amazing, and it's going to smell amazing, and it's going to sound amazing. And as human beings, we have that tendency, don't we? I can't wait to get there. And we would like to say for Christ, but let's be honest, sometimes it's for me. I want <laughs> can't wait to, to be there. That's all well and good, but part of uh, who God is is that we're busy and we find enjoyment and fulfillment in being busy and having our, our uh, hands at work. So today, we continue our conversation about those things that God lays out that are imperative. The things that he does not give us a, an option on, the things that have the word must and have to and had to in the, in the sentence structure. And so today, we on Mother's Day, appropriately, we're going to talk about work because... Uh, <laughs> Because uh, moms around the world are the most hardworking creatures that I know of, and we appreciate you. And I uh, just appreciate uh, my wife singing in the worship band this morning, gets here at O'Dark 100, but still testing, te texting me, uh, make sure one of them gets bacon, the other one gets the lemon poppy seed muffin, make sure the, ha the, uh, the uh, guinea pigs are fed, but you know, she, she's working, uh, and it just never stops. So thank you for, for the very, very uh, hard work that moms and grandmoms and great-grandmoms have done. We're going to talk about work today, because there is this thing in, in every religion, about becoming something, but then doing something. And the arrangement and the order of those things is important because in many religions, it's the doing part that comes first. In order to, to become something, you must do something. In Christianity, we believe that Christ has already done something. We become something, and because we have become something, we do something. You see the order? If you reverse the order of that, then you're always wondering if you have done enough. Am I doing it right? Am I doing it to the certain level to win favor for God? And the, and the, the order in Christianity is that God loves you deeply. God loves you deeply even in those moments when you're turning your back on him because he cannot not love because the scripture says that God just doesn't love, but God is love. And that's, in those three words, it's a profound statement because if something is something, it cannot be not that. <laughs> Does that make sense? Water is wet. Water cannot not be wet. 
God is love. So regardless of what we're doing, God loves us. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet rejecting him, while we were sinners, while we were thumbing our nose at him, he sent his son. Not just a conceptual love on a Hallmark card, but he did the greatest sacrifice while we were thumbing our nose at him. So the danger in that is like, wow, awesome. I don't have to do anything. I'm loved no matter what I love. I can just kind of slough off the rest of my life, and God still loves me. True statement. But there's this thing about a rhythm with God. Not that he will love us anymore, but a rhythm with God. And when you're in a rhythm with God, it's a game changer. How you view life, what's important to you, what you buy, what you don't buy, what you choose, what you don't choose, what you see, what you choose not to see. I mean, everything. And you find this higher level of thinking and living that all of a sudden it makes sense. So the book of James is uh, in the New Testament, for those of you unfamiliar with the Bible. Uh, James was a half-brother of Jesus, and he uh, was, had a VIP seat, obviously, in this whole operation of Christ. And so he understood grace fully, and yet he spoke about this important intertwining of faith and doing something. So we turn to him this morning, and then we'll get to the statement by Jesus, the imperative this morning. So, But we begin with James, James chapter 2 and verse 18. In verse 18, James says this, and it's so relevant. That's what I love about the Bible. It's so relevant. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. You have, you have A, I have B. Uh, man, he's, this guy's full of faith. He just, he's becoming you know, a, a Christ follower and all this, but see, I'm over here doing. And so there's a distinction. And James says, well, you show me your faith without deeds, without doing something, and I will show you my faith by what I do. See, he's saying my, my faith is going to have evidence that if, if there's nothing that's tangible that comes out of my faith, then, then there's no evidence whether or not it's authentic. So then he continues in verse 19. You believe that there is one God. Excellent. Way to go. Even the demons believe it. Dang it. There should be, I should come out with a dang it version of the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> And offend many Christians, like, and then that would even be better, actually. Uh, it'd be awesome. So he, he says, they believe and, and they shudder. In other words, he's making a really, really strong case here that just believing is not enough because even the darkest demons believe that there's a God. He say, fine, but they, they believe and shudder. Verse 20, you foolish man. Wow, thanks a lot. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless, some versions say dead, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. He just didn't say, God, I believe, but he said, let me follow that by some evidence. Now watch, here it is, verse 22. You see that his faith and his actions were working together, not one or the other. 
and his faith, this is the key, was made complete by what he, say the last word with me, did. So what he's saying is that I've had faith in Christ, but it becomes mature, complete. That's the word you see in the scripture a lot. Colossians chapter 1, 28, 29. Paul says, I want to present mature, ripe Christians, disciples to Christ on that day. In other words, there is this sense of ripeness, completeness. In every single family, I believe, if it's running as it should, everybody's got something to do. I have two boys. They are part of my family. They will never not be my sons. They will never not be part of my family. Their place, their position in our family tree is secure. Nobody's going to shake it, and they're going to fall out, no matter what they do. You know, we're fairly early in the game. I don't know what they will do when they're 22 or when they're 30 or if they'll talk to us. Or, I mean, their family splits and divisions and all that. I have no idea. I don't know who they're going to marry, if they're going to marry. I mean, there's so much unknown. But I make this commitment to say that they will always be my son. Having said that, uh, we have agreed this afternoon to empty and pack the dishwasher for mom. Haven't we? Yeah. Haven't we? <laughs> Guys. <laughs> now that you are a part of this family, we've got things to do. It's only fair. So, Steve, when you superimpose that over the church, do I believe that everybody in the church family should be doing something here in the church family? I do. I really do. Now, this, is it to make you feel guilty? Absolutely. Happy Mother's Day, just for you. Hopefully, it's to invigorate you, to inspire you, but to calibrate to the truth, because now we turn to Jesus' imperative statement. We find it in John chapter 9 and verse 4. In the context of this moment, Jesus is just healing a blind man. Somebody asks him a profound question, is this man blind because of his parents' sin. They're, they're going back into the Old Testament. They're, they're, they're cherry-picking, as we would say from the Bible, out of context some things. We won't get into that end of it today. But Jesus, again, has a way of just getting right to the point and getting right to the heart of it. And he makes this statement in John chapter 9, and verse 4. He says, as long as it is day, we must do the work. It's imperative that we do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. So he's speaking to those who are already in, so to speak. He's saying to them, we must do the work. And it's imperative not to earn God's favor. God's favor is already a given through Christ. But now that we're in the family, he's talking to his disciples, we must do the work. We, it's imperative. So when I look at this statement, it's, it, there's some layers in here that I just want to unfold today. We're going to park right here in this statement of Christ. Because it's so important for us as believers of Christ to understand what is Jesus asking us to do in the time that we spend here on earth, in that dash that's on your tombstone. 
And how do you make the most of it for him? And how do you feel the most complete for you? That at the end of that dash, when you have the end date of your life, and the day before that end date, you say, wow, that was, that was fulfilling. I see where God has led me. So there's some elements about the work that I think that are important. So maybe you're sitting there like, wow, okay, you, you got my attention. Uh, I'm, I'm not quite, I don't have my oars in the water because there are two oars to row a boat. And some people, if you only have the faith oar in the boat, guess what you do? You go in circles. There is what Jesus is saying, there's a faith oar and there's a work oar. And when you have the faith oar and the work oar, guess what happens to the boat? It moves forward. Some people only have the work oar, and they're not becoming anything. In fact, there was a season in our church where we're like, hey, let's, let's focus on becoming, and I think it's both, but the danger sometimes, and, and it can be the other way. You can have busy be uh, Christians who are doing a lot, um, and sometimes it, in my history as a pastor, it's been those you know, double doers that do a lot that sometimes create the most problems. I hate to say it. So if you're doing a lot, keep doing it, but be nice. <laughs> there's, this, there's this human thing sometimes called entitlement, that, man, now I've carved all the potatoes in the kitchen, and I've done this, and I go out and change the sign, and I do this, that, and the other. I own the place, right? That's the danger of human pride. So that's why if you only got the, man, I'm doing a lot and, you know, peeling potatoes and changing the sign, but there's no becoming over here, you'll also go in a circle, and it's a nasty circle of just saying. I've been wanting to say that for years, but I finally <laughs> got it up. When we look at this statement, there's something, there's some layers here let's, to, to inspire us to say, why would I jump in and, and do some work? Um, and there, there are three layers, and I like things to kind of sound the same and all that just because I think it's, uh, it helps us memorize things. Um, there's intimacy, um, I, and there is um, urgency, and uh, there's necessity, okay? So we're going to unfold those. What do I mean by intimacy? God is uh, omnipresent. He is, that means he's everywhere all the time. Mind-blowing. But we see in Scripture where there are moments of concentrated presence. Let's take the Old Testament. Do you remember when the, the Israelites were moving through the wilderness and they had this pillar of, of, of fire and this cloud of smoke? And, or when the priests went into the Holy Holies, this, you know, this inner sanctum, so to speak, and then there was this concentrated glory of God that God was everywhere, but there's this, like, you know, this concentration. It's no different than us. You know, for, for men, we say, uh, you know, the, the, the moms leave us at home to watch the boys, uh, to watch the kids, and our version is I'm in the house. <laughs> you know, I'm not actually watching them. Are you watching the kids? Oh, yeah, I'm watching them. That just means nobody left the front door. Uh, we don't, they could be burning the place down in the back. But for us guys, just to let you know how we work. But then if I'm in the house, I'm present. But if I say, let's play a board game, you've got my concentrated uh, attention. See, there are times there's concentrated intimacy with God. When Jesus said, when two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with you. Well, I thought you were with us all the time. 
You see how that works? There's a concentration of rhythm, I would say, with God. He's everywhere, but it's like, man, I'm really, really, I'm really there, and you, there's, a, there's a heightened sense of his presence, right? The sentence that Jesus says doesn't make grammatical sense. So watch this. And, and, and we go back to this statement in John chapter 9, verse 4. He's, most people would say, I'm, I must do the work that God sent me to do. The word me is in there, I, that God sent me to do. But watch, he says this. We must do the work of him that sent me. You see, he doesn't say, hey, guys, I'm on a mission here, and I'm going to accomplish this thing. I'm here to do, I must do the work of him who sent me. He says, we must. There's an intimacy that is involved in the work of God. That when we've put our faith in him and when we say, I, I now want to get in rhythm with God and our hands are busy and we're serving others and we're pouring it out, there is this, there is this companion partnership of God. That I think that is, is there a heightened rhythm? Yes. Go without a month without praying and see if you sense the rhythm of God. It's the same thing. Don't you feel like you're more in rhythm when you're praying, when you're walking with him, when you're in your word? God's still everywhere, but you see, you're closer in proximity. Jesus came to get something done, and when we join him in getting something done, there is the gears are moving together. Why do I use the word intimate? Because in Psalm 139, we're told that God knew us while we were in, on Mother's Day, our mother's womb. And while we were still in the womb, before we had taken a personality profile test and known what we're going to do in life, before we did our education, before we were born into a certain family or in, in a certain country, God said, I know you. And all the days are ordained for you that I've planned out a menu for you. And God would say, and I'm so excited about it. I am going to allow you, a human being, to be part, a natural human being, to be part of a supernatural kingdom. And I've got that all mapped out for you. Now, I know that your natural life is going to want to overtake you that you're going to be involved with your kids and your jobs and your, and your schedules and this, that, and the other. But I've got something for you at a higher level, and I can't wait for, to be part of that. Here's why I say that. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, for we are God's workmanship. We are his poetry. We are his expression as the original word created in Christ Jesus to have faith alone. Not so. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works Here's the order again. Not do good works in order to be created in Christ Jesus. There's the order. You've been born again. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. You've been ignited in the Spirit, created in Christ Jesus. Why? So you can get busy. So you can be part of the kingdom. So you can be in partnership with the mission of the work that Christ was sent to do. We must do the work of the one who sent me. Watch this. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has already put on the menu before you were born. He's prepared in advance for you to, say it with me, do. You see, 
we're told that God has this heart that he wants everyone to believe. But then once we believe, now he's got a heart for everyone to do. You see how that works? And not only that, like, huh, I wonder what I'm going to give Dave. I wonder what, I wonder what I'm going to give Jim. I, man, I have, no, there's no guesswork. He said, I've already got something for you. I've prepared it for you to do. Whether or not you do it, still your choice. That's, that's, the, that's the scary thing. In other words, you, I have things that I hope my, my sons will do, but I can't make them do it. Is it possible to leave behind unleft work of Christ? Yes, it is. So it's not that we're just not doing, let's say you're not doing anything. It's not that we're just not doing anything. We're not doing what was already planned for us to do. It's amped up. You see, it's amped up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. So when people come to me and say, man, man I'm trying to figure out the will of God, I'm like, hey, you got, you don't, I don't ask, do you have an hour? Because let let's, let's really try to figure out. I'm like, you got two minutes? Let me give you a few. There, there are so many things that like, and this is the will of God, that would keep us busy without, and I know what we mean, should I get the job, should I move, those types of things. But there are so many things, so many bulk, staple things that Christ has given to us. Let's take discipleship. It's a big deal. Somebody, somebody you know, if you've been in the church any amount a long time, you might say, oh, Steve, I know that's your, I know that's your deal. No, it's not even my deal. This is the Jesus deal. This is the commission that Christ said. In his last words, he said, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to make disciples. I don't find it optional. There's no if it's convenient or if you think it's cool or if you like it or if you like the idea or if you live in this part of the world or whatever, if you've got enough time. There's, there's none of those little fine, you know, uh, uh, you know fine print things, no, no little footnote. Jesus said make disciples. But watch this. I think we all, many of us know the Great Commission, go into all the world, right? So let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 28, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey what I have commanded you. Now here it is. And surely I'm with you. Well, I thought you were with us all the time. I am. But when you're about the business of the things that I came to do, which he came to make disciples, was one of the things, when you're about that business, he says, now I'm with you. And I will tell you, personally, when I'm about the work of God, there is a heightened sense of God with me. And I know he's with me in my worst moments. There's a sense of partnership. We must do the work that I was sent to do, Jesus said. Does that make sense? There's an intimacy. All right, I got a really, I got a real cool verse before we move on. Watch this. This is crazy. Mark chapter 16, verse 19 and verse 20, okay? That's going to come up on the screen. As best you can, I want you to read, focus on the second part of the verse first, okay? So if we can go to that scripture verse uh, on the screen, thank you. And then the disciples went out. You see where I'm at? Keep your eyes right there. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them, intimacy, 
and confirmed his word by signs that accompanied it. So if you're reading that in historical document, you think, okay, okay, they went out and Jesus went out with them. But when you read the verse before, this is where it gets crazy. After the, this is the end of the chapter, uh, this is the last thing in the book of Mark. After the Lord Jesus has spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven. He's gone physically. I mean, if you were to read that verse out of context, the second one, and you think, okay, he's out there with them. Jesus speaks as if he's here with us when we're doing his job, and he's already gone. Does that make sense? If you don't know the Bible, like, okay, you guys are a bunch of kooks. <laughs> this is the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm going to go deep for just a second. If you get it, great. If you don't, don't let me blow it. If there are only a two-person trinity, which would be a duity, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Man, we'd be lost. There'd be no, I'm with you. The, the, the Bible opens with the Spirit of God. If there were only a father and son, there would be this massive disconnection. The reason that intimacy is available with God when we're in rhythm with his ministry is because the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is already gone, and when you read verse 20, he's working with them. Intimacy. Why should I get busy? To be in an intimate rhythm with the one who created you to do good works in Christ even before you were born. That's why. I mean, we would go home right there on that one. I want to be intimate with my Father, with my Creator. I want to be intimate with my Savior. And I believe what he's saying to us is that there's, that intimacy is going to be diminished if you're just sitting in a boat letting somebody else row. Okay? There's an urgency in Jesus' statement. Let me look at the first part of it again. It comes from John chapter 9. He says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. So when you read that statement, you understand that Jesus is saying, hey, there's a limited time, right? We all know that. There's not a single person in the room, Christ follower or not, God seeker or not. We all understand we're not going to live forever. We are living on on time. We're actually all dying right now as, you know, we're getting close. Our, you know, we're heading to the end. And so when you look at the statement, you would think what well, Jesus is saying, as long as it's day, like as long as I've, I'm here alive, then I must do the work. But then he goes on to the second part, because it's not enough just to do, to say, hey, my time is short. It's like saying, uh, I'm going to mow the grass and I'm uh, going to go outside, and it usually takes me about 45 minutes, but it's already 8.30 at night, so it's still a little light left. You know how that is in the summer, still a little light left. And uh, so I've only got so much daylight left, so I'm going to then, uh, i got to hurry up, right? That's one thing. But it's another thing. So, you know, I don't know how many of you guys have ever done that, but boy, I have. I have, you know, I have, uh, you know, zipped through a lawn faster than I normally do because I'm running out of daylight, right? But there's, there's a difference between running out of time and something is daunting that's coming. I've mowed grass before when the, dark, the sky is dark, I see lightning already. 
Have you ever seen a grown man run behind a lawnmower? <laughs> I have. You know how we kind of like procrastinate, like, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, and then you, you hear the thunder, like, boy, I better get out there, right? And then you're like, you know, it's good cardio, everybody's happy. He doesn't just say it's, we're running out of time, but watch what he says in John chapter 9 and verse 4. There's a sense of urgency here. As long as it is it as day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. There is coming a day and the shadows are getting longer over every culture of the world that is, indicates to us that darkness will overtake. We looked at it a week or two ago. Second Thessalonians, a profound verse where God is basically saying, I know there's evil in the world, but I'm holding it back. I'm holding it back until the man of lawlessness will be revealed, and then I'm taking my hands away. The church of Christ will be raptured, will be taken out of the world. The temples, the walking temples of the Holy Spirit will be taken out of the world. And God will un allow evil to be unleashed like never seen in human history, including the days of Noah. You see, Christ, who stands at all spectrum of time and history, understands that that is going to be intense. So we better mow the grass because there's a storm coming. For those of us that may have it in neutral, let me tell you Christ's heart. Hurry up. Stick an oar in. Go because not only is your time limited on life, maybe you're 30, 40, 50, Years old, Christ would say, when, man? If it's not now, when? But even if that's the case, then, what, then God's saying, no, it's worse than that. There are going to be some folks caught in the cross storm of this thing. And maybe you would make a difference in someone's life who will make a difference in someone's life who will make a difference in someone's life. And they will have their lives changed by your little square in life. We think it's so small. Man, it's bigger than you think. Christ says in John chapter 12, verse 35, he, he told them, you're going to have to have the light just a little while longer. And while you have the light, walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. There's a sense of intimacy when we work. There's a sense of urgency. Are you urgent? Do you have a sense of urgency? I'm urgent about a lot of things, by the way. It's a matter of being urgent for the right things. I think you would, it, would be, it would be good to take that inventory. Like, man, am I living my life? I told someone yesterday... It's probably, it's probably psychologically incorrect, but it's just how I, it's how I operate. It's probably not even the best way to, to, to run your life because I, I have these self-imposed deadlines, et cetera, but I'm just being honest with you. I, um, 
I turned 59 this year, so I'm closing it on 60. And I've had a mindset, God, I want to mow the grass. I want, to, I want to calluses on my hands before it's too late for me to do this physically. Now, I may, I may be Caleb. I may be strong as 84 than I am now. Kind of highly doubt it. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Even from a physical point of view, I understand that I can't always have the same stamina. And it drives me. It does. It drives me too much, honestly. I had a meaningful conversation with my wife yesterday. I'm just being honest with you. I, I work too much. I know it. But I'm driven by that. I'm not perfect. I got flaws, blah, 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 blah. But I'm telling you, I want to mow the grass. I want to be in rhythm. I want to work. And I have this sense of urgency. I think it's an important element of Christianity that I see missing. I'm sharing my heart. Can you feel it? I'm trying to be as real. I'm trying to be as living room as possible right now. Because I look at generally um, my Christian brothers and sisters, I'm like, man, there's that urgency. There's that urgency that seems to be lacking. I know what it's like to lose a family member at the blink of an eye. I know what it's like when life is over. I know what it's like to, to be around a lot of people who can't do it anymore. As a pastor, I've seen that over and over. Work because not only your time is running out, but man, you get to play a part in this kingdom role because darkness is going to be unleashed. I know that's heavy. Let me do one more before we go. Jesus said it's a necessity. If you're going to be a Christ follower, it's going to be a necessity. At the end of his life, I want you to watch this duality in, in this sentence. In John chapter 4, he says, in verse 34, John chapter 4, verse 34, someone said, hey, man, you haven't eaten yet. Kind of overworking there a little bit. Missed to skip the mill. A little concerned about you. And Jesus said, let me tell you where my staple's coming from. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish. You see, it's not just, it's not just this sense of like, okay, I'm doing the will of God. It's this sense of I'm finishing what Christ has created me to do before in advance, Ephesians chapter uh, 2 of 10, right? And whatever that thing is, man, I want to finish it. I just don't want to dabble in it. I want to cross the home plate. I don't want to just say, thanks for giving me a uniform to play in the game, Jesus, uh, but I, I only got the first base. And I know you wanted me to get a triple or a home run, whatever that thing is. See, he says, I want to do my Father's will, but I want to finish the work to finish his work. He says the same thing when he's praying at the end of his life. It's the most gorgeous, beautiful, powerful prayer that we have recorded Jesus. I'm not saying his most beautiful, powerful prayer. It's just the most longest and powerful one we have recorded. John chapter 17 and verse 4, and he's speaking to his father in this intimate moment, and he says, Father, I have brought you glory on earth. Why? By completing 
the work you did. Not just doing it, but completing the work you did. You mean, are you saying, Steve, that you're glorified? See, I think we glorify God by who we become. Different, different or for a different day. And I, we fully understand that. But there's also this day of completing the work, doing something for Christ. And not only doing it, but finishing. What has God asked you to finish? Not just to do. Don't know if you saw this little clip of this uh, Little League baseball guy. Uh, I think he's no more than three, four, three or four years old. Have you seen it? And uh, some of you have, so I'm going to show it anyway. But, you know, so he goes, you may think this, this, this film is in slow motion. But he decides to, you know, do his own slow motion. He's, he's now round at third, and he's coming into home plate. But I want you to notice about midway through when everybody's losing their patience, the coach, picturing God, comes over and tries to give him a little, like, nudge, as I think God might be today. I just want you to look at his reaction to the coach's nudge, all right? Take, take a look at this. Crazy. <laughs> Go land. You're almost there. Go, 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 go. Go, go, go. So, you know, you saw it, right? The coach coming like, hey, can we, you know, get it going a little bit? Like, we all got to go. Like, you know, stay off of me, right? And you just wonder, maybe if God is coming over to you and saying, hey, can we, can we get it going a little bit? And I wonder what your reaction is going to be. Like, busy, dude. I got got an agenda here. I'm on my own pace. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so I saw this little kid on the news interview afterwards and uh, in one of the major networks, and they were saying, hey, tell us why, you know, you went slow-mo, you know, slow motion. Why, why'd you do that? You know what his answer was? Caused. <laughs> because. Most of the time, we don't even have a good reason. How come you're not doing anything? Cause. Can you feel the coach's nudge? I want the intimacy of doing the, the work that we must do together. There's an urgency that I can see that you can't. And I'm nudging you, man. Come on. And then there's this thing just called necessity. You're in a family, man. Do something. Mow the grass. Empty the dishwasher. Do something. I have found along the years in my own life so many reasons to quit. So many reasons to quit. I've been through church splits where there's just been ugly, 
people's behavior been ugly. And just like, man, forget it. I've served places that weren't fulfilling. I've done things that were hard. I've done things that were boring. So many reasons. Sometimes I hear older people, I did that when I was younger. There is no, there is no exit ramp. There's some people that say, man, I've got kids. Hey, we planted this church with a two-year-old and a three-year-old with no salary, no health insurance. Talk to someone else. That felt pretty tough, didn't it? It felt pretty good, too. I'm like, hey, all of us have got excuses and reasons, and I'm busy, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and blah, 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 blah. And God would say, come on, man. You will always have those reasons and those thorn bushes and those hurdles and those pitfalls and all of the stuff that life delivers over and over and over. Mow the grass because I want a rhythm with you. I want to be in, I want to have that sense. And when you begin to serve, the more that God is opening up doors in discipleship, the more God is opening up doors in breakthrough, the more God is opening up doors in this community, within this church, around this world, I sense, I have a deeper sense of urgency. And I wouldn't have that if I were just sitting in the, in the canoe letting somebody else row. God said, come on, we must, we must, we must do the work that God has sent me to do. How about you? Let's pray. Father, Thank you, God, for allowing us to even work in your kingdom, to do something in your kingdom, God. Father, um, all of us have just so much stuff in our life. Busyness, hardships, relationships, good relationships, hard relationships, puzzling relationships, stinging relationships. I mean, all of these things, God, we all have. You see it. You're, you're like us looking down in an anthill and just seeing busyness. That's your perspective. No surprise. But this is the way it's been throughout human history, God, and so we have no excuse. Father, today... I'm praying for the nudging sense of the Holy Spirit from the, from the coach. I'm wondering, God, if there, is, there are followers, I'm sure, here that have lost sense of your intimacy, God. Believers, yes. On the way to heaven, yes. But do they have that sense of partnership and the excitement of being in gear with you? Perhaps you're nudging them, God, to, to, to get in the game. I wonder who here today would say to you, God, I have zero urgency for this whole kingdom thing. I have no urgency for the end of, not only the end of my life, and, and the limitation of that, but God, but what's coming? Haven't really given it much thought. But that's your heart, God. You know that evil will be unleashed, and already it's beginning to seep out in ways that we couldn't have imagined even 20, 30 years ago. 
I wonder, God, today if you would infuse and implant a new sense of urgency in someone. Someone who would say to you, honestly, God, I want to be more urgent. I want to get my hands busy. And finally, God, I just wonder if there's someone here that would say, you know, I just kind of thought this whole thing was optional, whether I, you know, serve in my church or community. I just, I just kind of thought this thing was optional. And I didn't realize it was a necessity. Not to earn your favor, God, but because your favor has already been won. That you've planned in advance. So, Father, I, I close this time of prayer by saying this to you on behalf of those who would want to say it to you. God, not only do I not want to avoid doing your work, God, but I don't want to leave the work you've already planned for me undone. Whatever that thing, whatever those things are, God, you've pre-planned for my life. I don't want to leave them on the field when my time is done, God. Would you move, Father, in us, God? We already know our culture has a has a uh, almost a power to put Christians to sleep, to drop the oars. But your your Holy Spirit can supersede, can trump that cultural conditioning, God. And in the quietness of this moment, that's what I'm asking you to do. My words, they, they can't do that, God. Only your Holy Spirit stirring from the inside to take your word, to your soul-dividing word, and to, from the inside out, God, create in, in, in us a change. So we need you, God. We love you. And thank you for causing us, calling us, God, to work for the right reasons. Thank you, God, for not calling us to work harder just to, so that we hope to get in heaven. Thank you for that. Thank you when Christ said it was finished, it was finished. And for us, that's, that's just profound, and we're grateful. In the name of Jesus, amen.